Hello and welcome to BZ Listening for a very special interview with Alexander Alvarez, aka Zila. Alex is a man who has a very pure and complicated relationship with music and the world, and, and one of the most beautiful hearts and minds I've had the privilege to watch unfold on this show. Now for new listeners, I'm BZ Douglas, a professional web developer, a family man, and aspiring musician slash event producer. I started this show because I just simply wanted to explore the medium of podcast production, which you know, I regard as essentially a, an open mic radio. And the most obvious content for a show I could produce would be to chat with all the musicians I've met over the years going to open mics in New York and here in Cleveland and being parts of the, uh, part of the grassroots music scenes and helping them share their stories and their music. The goal of this podcast is pretty much the same as the goal of the house concert I produce, the BZ Douglas Carnival. And despite the fact that, you know, my name's on the show, the point of it is to cross-pollinate artists and their audiences, uh, getting them in the same room. And my hope is that those of you who are listening today for Zila will go back and check out all the other incredible musicians uh, I've been so fortunate to talk to and stick around for a lot more really good ones in the future. Now, one of the questions I ask every guest is, what is your measure of success? It was after talking with Zila that I realized, or maybe I redefined my own answer, which is that I've already succeeded because I have chosen to make music and support others who do. And do I want to play to huge crowds and, and make tons of money? Maybe. It might come at a cost I won't realize I've paid until it's too late. What I know is that because I chose to start playing music, I met a wife and have two incredible children. I know that I can go anywhere in the world and I have a family waiting for me at the nearest open mic. I know that I'm putting goodness into the world with every song I sing and musician I uplift. And that's the sort of truth that bubbled up in my brain after four hours chatting with Zila. So I've decided to break this interview up into two parts. Today is part one. Come back for next Music Monday and catch part two. You can find links to all of Zila's project at the uh, website for the podcast. That's bzdug.com, bzdug.com slash podcast. And that is it. Let's get on with the show. Charlie, did you see the purple pants? Purple pants. <laughs> you guys going to be good? I like your little mask. That's awesome. Very very well done. Did you draw that or did he draw that? He made it. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. You like wearing a mask? Which to make it? I, I just, just cut one eye hard. I saw that. <laughs> Cyclops, the ancient ones. All right. Good luck. <laughs> Enjoy literacy. Uh-huh. It's a gift. <laughs> so uh, I am sitting here with Zila. 
How you doing, guys? Is that right? Is it Zila or Zayla? Uh, it, it should be Shayla. Shayla. Like, okay. Yeah, but but uh, you know, um, I was not as literate at the time. I decided to. Uh, so Zayla is Alex backwards. Uh, yeah, I picked up on that yeah. after I, I got your name. Or yeah, it was just like it was a business decision because I was in this band called Cows and Graveyard, and we were pretty notorious for drugs and weirdos and stuff, and like rebranding then. Yeah. And and it was literally because of like I was like hey I, like I was starting to do solo acoustic stuff and like you know just because my band like we had done our thing you know and then I was evolving I was doing a lot of writing so like I was just like yo I want to play coffee shops like Ani DeFranco you know like I want to like write songs that like make sense to me you know I didn't want to feel the pressure like you know doing a thing mm-hmm. and um so then I was just like you know, here's my demo. Like I was like, it's the nineties, you know, like people were still using cassettes and stuff. So you could like readily do that at your house, you know? And now it's so much different, but, um, and more available, you know, but it was wild because it was like, I went to this coffee shop and I'm like, Hey, you know, like I'm a songwriter. I want to do this thing. I used to be in Spang or Cows and Graveyard. I'm like, ah, yeah, we heard about you. We're, We're not interested. So then I was just like, fuck. I was like, I'm going to come up with something else. Like, Zayla? Is that cool? (laughs) So that's how that started. It's just like I couldn't get a coffee shop gig because I was in a rock and roll band that let druggies hang out. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm interested in, uh, we kind of got into it. We had a cigarette before on Mm -hmm. the porch before we got started recording. And uh, I always kind of go back and like, you know, where's your musical biopic sort of Mm -hmm. start or whatever. But uh, you just got a fascinating family history. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm really glad. Back into that. Yeah. Yeah. so like you were born were you born here in Cleveland? I was born in uh Northfield. Um but I was conceived in Mayfield. <laughs> Bizarrely on a street called Commonwealth where my now sousaphonist lives. What time? <laughs> um <laughs> 1975. I don't know. I was born 10:30. All I know is hey, that I was like, born at 10:30. Hey, how about this? When's your what birthday? I, uh October 24th. Oh, okay. March 31st. Nice. So like, wait, wait, wait. Does that make you that's, that's Aries? Strong. Aries, yeah. Very, very powerful minds. What's an what's a what's your sign? Uh, I'm a Scorpio. Scorpio. Um, okay. We're pathetically sexual and like incessantly um, judgmental, and it's it's been it's been a weird run. Like I feel a lot of freedom in my life from from understanding the growth. So originally, um, I'm a product of a Peace Corps volunteer that left Warren, Ohio in like 1963 or 64 and she served in Peru. Um, This is a really different time. Like I almost feel like the Peace Corps was like the first social media. It was like the first time like kids from the middle class or upper class were able to like reach out to the poor. You know what I'm saying? Through like this, through the mail, (laughs) you know, like signing documents, like, you know, paperwork, you know, like passports and then go to another country and Mm -hmm. like experience, you know, how our country affects the rest of the world. Um, And my mother was a very strong person. Uh, she was very devoted to her community and her church in every aspect. So everywhere she went, she did the same thing. Um, of course, our differences were just based on the fact that, like you know, it was you know in the in the '60s and '70s through the '80s, you know, working class people were uh, abused 
and they abused their cohorts in peru or uh just across the board well i mean yeah yeah. i mean i know that like like first off in america how it affected my mother to where she made the decision to be like i there's more to the world than like you know jumping into the rat race like she wanted her effort to be a part of betterment and growth um never really got a chance to talk to her about how she like like okay well yeah i did she she basically was very disappointed that i didn't decide to adhere to my catholicism even though i was confirmed and i did all the things and there was a period that i wanted to be a priest um and early on i ended up having a friend that was abused by a local priest and there was nothing anybody could do about it and you know the community around us, you know, as children, you know, we like our friends are being abused by like social hierarchies, you know, that our parents are adhered to, you know. Luckily, my parents weren't associated with these people, but like my friend was enough affected by it. But and I was just like, I, I can't walk forward with Christ like that, you know. Um, and I have my own learning that had developed from that period. Um, but it was basically that uh, t- to oppress individual sexuality and then uh, coerce them into a religious facility is way too close to engineering of consent, which is the basis of capitalism and how America murders the working class so the rich can abscond upon them seeming like philanthropists. So you're saying it's almost like, or the the term I always hear with, with the child, you know, predator, it's like grooming. Yeah. And you're saying yeah. that there's just, yeah. yeah and, real, and that, but grooming is just with, going without, on without, macro Without being scale. too broad, and I've gotten a few conversations online that have made me seem like an asshole because I said something. But like, for me, like, I feel that religion serves a purpose. All religions do. And hopefully they elect to a person... Uh, a betterment and a higher learning to where they will reach out to other aspects of of their ability and their knowledge. Um, but what I see modern religion doing across the board, and I'm not singling anything out, is basically demonizing their ability to think for themselves and only facilitate what arrangements occur between, which I think is so disappointing, the money and the industry versus the truth and the balance of the knowledge that's occurring between the people. Um, I'm, I, I mean, I gave up Catholicism too, not out of, you know, uh, being exposed to, you know, mm-hmm. seeing, seeing that sort of, you know, nefariousness, like a predator in, mm-hmm. in uh, a, a wolf amongst sheep, mm. so to speak. But it was more; it just didn't mean anything to me. And because I, I went wrong. to Catholic school, you're not wrong. Up until like fourth grade, yeah. Um, but it was really just about like, oh, I know when to sit, I know when to stand. Yeah, you're not. And, it's totally right. And then, um, yeah. you know, I got older, and I did. And really, like, I, I just stopped going once I was an adult. The funny thing is, and and two, it's like even, uh, uh, I, I've heard the same thing from some, like my wife, my ex-wife. Every, and it was even me. It's like when you're, we were all around that age in 18, we we're like, I don't care about you know this. And all of our parents were like, well, just get confirmed. Right. And, but it's like, isn't that the point of confirmation is for me to confirm that I want to go on? And I think, I think that like without dating us, like I, I think that's a confirmation of how you're seeing the evolution of the failed industrial complex that 
thought it had owned everybody. The spiritual industrial complex. Right. Yeah. I, no, I never, you're very. That's, that's a thank very you. good. Thank, thank, well, I'm glad we made that term together because I never even said it like that. But that's exactly my concern. Um, well, and that's what it felt like to me. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm, you know, you're just contributing to this institution, but it's de- it was detached from spirituality. And like my spirituality yeah. now, you know, it's like I I find, you know, it's far more, um, I'm far more like a- amazed by the world if you go into like the mechanics of it, like mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. Like th- mm-hmm. the fact that oh, that's, that's at odds with religion. It's like, what is a bigger way to celebrate God's creation, so to speak, than to like really learn the mechanics of how and it's all been put together? It makes it even more like, wow. I'll give you one, man. Like I was super drunk and I got on Facebook like well, it was like a week ago. And like, um, yeah, my non-fan of Hallmark holidays and, you know, how that's even connected to Catholicism or Judaism or however... It, it it placates like a, a a serious a serious concern for me about the people that that are affected by it. Um, what's wild is is like I take it from a a, a scientist named Wilhelm Reich. Um, Wilhelm Reich is uh, the guy that found orgone energy in his science, but what we call now the neutrino. So the neutrino is like this, like, like, uh, resident residual energy, or like a, a molecular residual molecule that is in all creation, and then has certain amounts of of culmination through coitus that or and healing, um, and it's wild because it's like my mind really switched up when I, I caught up with Wilhelm Reich from my, from my own concerns of how nativism in North America and South America had created science and a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things like, I mean, hell the fucking Olmec and Mayan created zero and like the Europeans didn't even have a concept of zero. There was a. I remember getting an audio book that was just like I had like oh you can just get as many as you want thing on like Audible and there was a book about the history of zero. Yeah, zero is like and I never got to like finish or I listened to some of it but none of it stick. That's yeah. The, the Europeans had no concept of zero. It was always about like some numerology beyond that. But like when you think of zero, it's a basis of a system that broadens like like any conversation. It's like so. It's like us. It's like hey we took some information and now we're at zero and we want to learn more from what we aspect. And what I think is wild about the Olmec calendar and like a lot of native American cultures is they, they've walked around the history of Westernization like constantly, like like you can even go to the West and like end up in a, in a native reservation with people who are practicing the same way they have for a thousand years. Well, I just saw a really funny um, uh, meme or something. Funny and also like brain, you know, brain exploding because it was just like uh, calling out that that term of like Western civilization, and then it just showed the you the the world map and like this is the West and this is the West, and then like this island in Greece is the West and not the West, all of South America, <laughs> and and like and like that's that's the thing is like especially like. You know, they always say who who won the territory tells the history, you know. I think now that we're you know, like how we're here on social media, like I think I think the conversation is expanding 
I think people want the conversation to expand. It intrigues me. I will definitely admit it's decimated my ability to become a career like like musician to a degree because now it's not about like your pomp and circumstance. It's about your honesty. And and like and that's what I feel like the the next evolution from for me as a writer a composer and a, mu- a fellow musician to to my cohorts. You know like we're not really thinking about doing a new thing. We're like thinking about making music and like making music a part of our lives instead of a a destination. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it was wild, especially in the Cleveland scene. And I'm sorry we got away from my parenting because I, I really to get back to that. But um, it's okay. We always take a nice circuitous route. It's like a spiral. <laughs> one of my favorite forms. Um, but it, you know, is just basically that I had earned an ability to hear people without knowing what they're saying. You know, between how my mom would like beat me or like how I just sit up with like Kaylee or Dante and like or or my friends in Opus like being Dan. like attenuated to nonverbals. Right. Like we just like you have to understand the like you like the energy and like the people that you're involved with and like the openness that you can guide each other into betterment, you know. And it's like for me, like I'm very doused in that process. To me, like the, the what you actually gain from the truth is your experience, not the end all, you know. And I'm lucky because I'm kind of a jerk that didn't listen to mom. <laughs> like I just, and I was just like, hey, I'm gonna go out there and I'm like be wild and like I'm gonna disappoint you a bunch and you're gonna hate me sometimes and you're gonna wish I didn't do what I did. But in the end, I ended up protecting old people and looking out for elderly veterans and like you know between the hood and the good you know i figured out how to be a person and that was something i think my mom intrinsically put into me without even telling me
definitely I, I've seen in life, you know, um, uh, I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was very much, uh, had a great dad, just did everything with him, and like he had, you know, his dad was on this pedestal, whereas mine was an absentee alcoholic. Mm. He wasn't abusive or anything, he would just get drunk, fall asleep, wallow in self-pity. Yeah. And... So his dad was this positive role model, and mine was this negative role model. Like there, you can have like you know some people. So can, strange can you would say that. My, da- my dad had the same problem. Now this funny. My dad got into my face because I ended up fucking up my car. <laughs> you know, like and I called him up. I'm like, "Yo, man, I messed up. Like I got a little drunk last night." You know, he's like, comes to the house the next morning. And he's like, not cussing me out, but he's like, "You remind me of one of." The dudes my dad was with, my mother, my mother was with, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he got drunk all the time. He was the nicest dude, but he lost everything, and he killed himself. He's like, don't do this to yourself. And I'm just like, Dad, it's not, it's not that hard. But like, I feel you, you know that. Like, I, it was weird to just be like a guy that my dad liked, but was really disappointed in, and he was able to tell me that, you know. And I was just like, I, you know, that's okay. <laughs> like, I don't, you know. I can understand where that dude probably at, you know, versus like, hey, I got this new chick and she's got a kid that's forgotten and I want to take care of him and like I get drunk a little too much, whatever. But, you know, I don't know, like, I, I think there's a lot of freedom and, and, and it, you know, just helping, helping other people grow, letting yourself grow, you know, letting other people grow when you understand how you've grown, you know, and... I don't know, like, I don't have this conversation that could, like, popularize an idea, but I have a conversation that can, like, you know, create, like, a truth between how, how we, how we exist, you know, like, when I, when I write a song, like, I think about it like this, man, so my mom, she was uh, serving uh, in Peru in the Peace Corps back in the 60s, and, and, um, you know, the 60s were, like, horribly pretentious. Like, you know, I love Hendrix. I love Pink Floyd. I love all that, you know, like, because that was a whole other thing, you know, like mm-hmm. Coltrane, like, jazz was happening then, you know, whatever. But, like, what I thought was wild is, like, everything was so set up. And, like, you know, people would assume that you had to act a certain way. So my mom, like, being a true servant of the community, like, she took on to like, you know, back in the 60s, the boho culture, like if you were hip, you had an acoustic guitar. Didn't even, you didn't even have to play it. Just like walk around with an acoustic guitar and the right set of clothes. The conformity of nonconformists. Right, exactly. So my mom found herself in Peru escaping America as best she could. And she like goes to the open market, you know, in the, in, in the city. It was Lima at the time. And, and, and she, she got her good, she got herself a six string. She didn't know how to play. She knew how to sing. My mom was a great singer. So then like, she sat there and hammed on a few chords and figured out her favorite song, you know, like, like, so then, uh, the village that she was in, they had her perform in a, a like a variety show. So like everybody kind of like maybe made a song or a skit or something. So my mom, like, is this my chance? Like I, I, I want to write a song, you know, so she writes her first song. So in Spanish, there's the term mira, mirta. So like my mom's Spanish wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the two words is one is reflection of beauty. So the other one's shit? The other one is shit. Yeah. <laughs> so my mom didn't, didn't understand how the utterance, you know what I'm saying? 
There's a song in there though to just play with. Check the, this out. Check this okay. out. Check this out. So this is what happens. She like, she like invites my father from Lima to come to the village, and he comes out to support her and watch everything. You know, so, like they're like they're not married. They're just like friends. You know, mm-hmm. and so like he comes out and he's lightweight courting her. You know, in such effort. It's like she gets on stage and she sings a song. She says in her lyric, "Life is beautiful." You are beautiful. We are all beautiful. Let's share each other's beauty. But what she said was, in Spanish, trying to speak Spanish as best she could, we're all shit. You're shit. Let's share our shit. (laughs) So she's up there playing the song, her heart out, like with the whack-ass Spanish coming out of her face. (laughs) Crowd is like, yeah! Yeah, That is right! (laughs) So my mom gets off stage. She's got like a Christian like cross on her neck. She's wearing like the proper, you know. She, Ramon, they loved it. They loved it. And he's like, baby, uh, you gotta work <laughs> on your enunciation. <laughs> she was mortified. She was like, oh my lord, I just said all that. And well, they like, liked it. They loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I never found that out until I was in my late like twenties. You know, mm-hmm. like. And it was weird because after my mom died, you know, it was like her friends and her family would like literally find me in these random bars that I'm playing at and just be like, we just want to dose Arlene, you know, and we we come to you to find it because you're like the closest to her. And like I spent most of my life just keeping her from, you know, hitting me and shit, you know, but like she really instilled in me exactly who she was, you know. So like for me, I don't really think that was like an abuse. It was like probably the temperament that was necessary, you know. So like you know I you know I've I've taken beatings on the street you know I've taken beatings in clubs taken beatings outside of clubs you know like and I mean, you walk the life I have you know you don't get away with shit you know you have to answer for it sometimes and um, you just learn how to speak you know so so the the discipline that was placed on you that really backfired and set you off on a on a rebellious it set me path. off on a rebellious tip but it ended up being a part of the exact process that I became a part of without hitting people, you know, but like, you know, I, I treat people with that regard. I'm like, Hey man, speak your mind, you know, make sense. Don't, don't talk shit, you know, you know, especially in a world of politician and lawyers that we are in, in such a way. So like, I don't know, like, it's just like, I feel like as wild as, <clears throat> and as hard as my upbringing may have been or had gone to, on on my behalf, less than my parents' behalf, because they were really my parents were really good people. My dad is still like to this day like unnecessarily kind, you know. And um, I just, you know I'm I'm not a young kid, so like my my pops is is up there. So his kindness, like you know, I'm we're talking about time now. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about destiny, you know. And like I'm I'm lucky for that. Like most most of my work has always been about the journey. It's never been about the destination. It's like the details, you know. It's like even like I've written songs that have literally taken like five bands and like three different sessions to like actually articulate and get right, you know. And then just like it's a song. It's like, you know, when I play it with the next person beyond that, that's where it ended up. <laughs> Oh, 
to uh, process like your childhood or your parents and was, or is there any that you, that you um, are still precious to you or that, that came out of that or that you play? Um, I have songs. Um, okay, so like definitely there was a reconstructionist period that really like was about not using first pronoun. Um, I had learned early early on when I was a songwriter because uh, I love learning about tribes and traditions and, and different cultures. Um, I, in the early aughts, like 2000, what, um, I had become friends with a movement of the AIM, the American Indian movement that had came, come to Cleveland to protest Chief Wahoo. And this is like back in 2000, like, you know, and, uh, they were really, really deep cats. And they were very, it wasn't like very, it wasn't very singular. It was like, they were, it was a very broad perspective. Like if you come from Page, Arizona versus like a, a reservation in Wyoming, you're dealing with like gutter punk mentality versus like old tradition, mm. you know, like cats still brush their hair a hundred times with a wooden brush versus like, Hey, we make concoctions of poop to get high. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the res life is very broad. Like, and it's weird. It's like I came up in Cleveland. It's all black and white up here. But you go down to the Southwest. It's like skin. You know, skin is like native. You mm. know, and and it and it and it. It's weird when you deal. Yeah. Anyway, I think I'm, I think I'm, losing sight here. Uh, basically, what I had learned from these homies was is this. reference to 
your truth. And I'll and I'll paraphrase what I was trying to get to this way, and I think this conversation is going that way for that. Um, I had a brother who was from Page, Arizona, who came from the Navajo Nation, and my brother who is from Wyoming is a Rapaho, a rap a Rapaho. I'm a little, a little high, sorry, a Rapaho, and um, they're very different. They have very different ethics and and beliefs. Mm. Um, the Navajo suffered a lot more of the, like, what we would call ghetto culture. The Arapaho, like, because of, like, you know, their traditions, maybe just, like, the region, they were, like, they were able to keep their their ethics alive, you know? So this is the old grog shop days, right? And, like, I had a show, and, like, these homies came out, like, because we were, like, affiliated through a label, and, like, they were part of the American Indian movement that was creating like this band that was on the same label as the band that I was in. And we just came homies, you know, like, but I was really intrigued by the fact that they had so much tradition and, and, and regard for their, their, their ancestry. And I was just like from Northfield, Ohio. <laughs> My dad's from Peru. Here we go. You know, like, and, and it was wild because it's like, you know, in my early twenties, I started balding. You know, like, so, like, I was just, like, shaving it off, you know. Like, and I had long hair for a while. And, like, that's how these homies mo- met me. And I remember the Rapaho brother was like, what did you do? Why did you do that? And I'm like, well, it's, like, balding. I want to look like total fucking waste of space. You know, like, just. I'm you don't want to look like you're hanging on. Yeah, right. And, like, then, like, the, the Navajo brother. He like kind of wilded up to us, and he's like, "What you guys doing?" I'm like, "I don't know." He's like, kind of pissed off that I cut my hair, and he's like, "Bro," and like, this is the Navajo brother. He like slaps on the Rapaho brother's chest. He's like, "This kid's a freaking contrary. He's the outside of the tribe. You can't question him." And I was just like, "Bro," <laughs> I was like, "Well, I should be questioned. I'm looking for knowledge, but like, but it was almost like his testament to the fact that he's like he's outside of our scope. He's doing. You can't him. judge him by our internal standards. Right, right. Or- and like, I like that's Native America, man. You know, those are the people that understood the Westerners that came into this country. And not all Westerners were evil white people. You know, like I know actually my godmother, um, from my mother's family." Um, she married a brother whose family protected an aspect of the Cherokee Nation, um, a German family during the, the, the 1600s that had lived with, 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 with the Cherokee family like and married in to protect them so they can keep the ways of their land. I met that brother like, this is deep, you know what I'm saying? Like... That I've had that range. Like, and it was actually, I shit you not, that was literally like one trip in 1998 across the country that I met all those people. And it was just like, like, you know, when you get that type of perspective about, you know, the range of life, you know, especially in America when it's so narrow about like rich and poor, America is so much broader mm-hmm. and so much deeper. And if anything, there's probably some ancient truth that's been like, hidden forever you know
Like I've only been like a like working class musician for like what 23, 25 years. Next to that, like you know, like I was just like trying to get in the game. So that's another like five years. So it's like thirty years or whatever. And it's like so much change between the computers. Like like literally, like dude, like I was on the road with a map, paper map, going to payphones in New York City, trying to get to the CBGB back in like 1996, 97, you know what I'm saying? And then I would have to sit in the car because I didn't drink. <laughs> and my boys would go and drink all night. And then I like, because like you couldn't bring your gear into the club. You literally have to sit out in the van and protect your shit because everybody's trying to rob you on a fucking Bowery. <laughs> but like. It was wild, man. And I remember sitting outside of the CBGB one time with this old school, right? And, like, the fire hydrants in New York City, you could you could sit on them. They don't have, like, the little, like, dildos on top. It's just, like, those, like, like spouts on the side. Yeah. You sit on them, bitch. And the dude's just sitting there all night. Like, I, I just needed, like, I think maybe a cigarette or maybe I was, like, smoking some weed outside or whatever. And this guy's, like, sitting there. I'm like, what's your story? You know, and we start talking. Because I'm watching the van with all our gear in it because we're not allowed to bring the gear in. We're playing a Wednesday night. So in the CBGB at the time, like, if you came from Cleveland, you used their gear. You didn't bring your gear in, you know? Like, yeah. So, like, I had to sit outside in the van, like I said. Brother's like, ah, you know, I'm just sitting here. I'm squatting up there, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, you squatting up above the CBGB? Look at you, you know? Like, like to me, like, this guy's like a cult leader already you know but like you know he's just like nobody he's like this is where i've been homeless for fucking 30 years you know like and <laughs> i think at one point we started talking about the bible and he started talking about the nutritional value of a cockroach <laughs> it's like bro <laughs> he's like yeah that was lunch i was like man <laughs> And you're living above the CBGB? You know how many motherfuckers wish they could do dope up there? <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was like, you can only imagine what happened to that guy at the end of the day, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm lucky that, like, my parents were civic, civically conscious, you know? And, and, I, and I think that's kind of where my, like, everything that I've, gone wrong about has done everything right mm -hmm. you know because it's like do you I, have does your music uh have a political and like civic consciousness to it do you think i think so much so that it's not even considered um i keep it pretty subtle um i like to write happy songs with a melancholy twist lyrically um that has expanded since I've like so like in my in my life right now. So paraphrase it. Um, I work in three bands, uh, two of which I'm the main composer, one of which I'm just the singer. Um, and like I'm, I it's feel listen, listen, little man. Yeah, so listen, little man. I'm just the singer. Um, they want me to write into it, but like they. I'll, they write so much better than I do. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, like, look, dude, you, we, we can play some of your songs. I'm like, no, my songs are whack compared to what you guys are doing. You know, like, like, I mean, I know I like the songs I write, you know, but like, you know, when you work so, so much time through different musicians, you start to understand different musicians require different things of you, you know? And so it's like, I, I don't know, like, I did like, 
I just always loved the old jazz ethos. Like, you know, we're like, like I brought up before, like Coltrane would play with Miles or like Lee Morgan would play with Coltrane or like, you know, like all these different cats. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I talk about, I have a friend of mine that just like started picking up trumpet and he was like, he's kind of a spiritual dude. And I was like, what do you, what, what do you, what do you feel about trumpet? Like, why, why are you called to that? He's like, I love the aperture. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's like you know, how you how you flex your lips underneath the, the mouthpiece, the mechanics. Of yeah, like I mean, like that's one thing I learned from playing trumpet as a kid is like it's such a physical instrument. Like like your 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 chamber. Now, like, were you um, were your parents telling you like you need to do an instrument, and or were you asking to do an instrument? I was asking. I was um, my okay. So my father was a violinist that. Um, what my mother asked to marry, (laughs) my mother asked to marry my father. Um, she was, as I said, at the time was a Peace Corps volunteer and she had met him through her experience and she was like, I mean, there's another crazy story behind that, but just long story short, like he ended up in a way and she's like, Hey, marry me, come to America, let's start a family. So he did that. Mm. Um, so it, so in that they just basically ended up turning into, you know, like her f- supporting him and helping him come to the country and then really meeting him, you know. And then that turned into like the ethic and the balance of, of how he processed America. And so I, I feel like almost like that is half of what makes me make music. It's like I almost want to speak the language they couldn't share. And they were working class kids. They were poor kids that found each other across the globe in the 60s. You know what I'm freaking saying? Like, that's almost impossible. And um, I could go on about, like, how my father comes from the Inca, you know, in the, in, in the Hispanic. I've done my own research to find out the origin of our name. So Alvarez, which is my last name, comes from an ancient class of warriors that protected early Christian nomads. Wow. So as that evolved, the res was a rich people that adopted Christianity. So then the Alva protected the res and became the Alvarez. So like, imagine like, you know, we're talking about like, you know, Three five hundred BC into what, uh, and like these genetics evolve. So then you have the Alvarez, and then they split off. Some in 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 Italy and Spain. There's like a village of Alvarezes, I guess, in Spain somewhere. I've, I've never been, but then there's like in South America. Uh, one of the children from that aspect created like a huge slave trade and like, you know, had a lot of babies, you know. And so that's what we are. They were the Alvarez from South America, right? So my mother names me Alexander. So in Greek, Alexander means the protector of men. Alvarez in Spanish in another dialect means servant of man. 
So my name is redundant. The protector of man, the servant of man. Yeah. No, you're you're uh, the protector of man, the servant of man. So you are the cop of mm-hmm. men. Yeah. <laughs> the protect and serve. Yeah. And I've trust me, I've been beaten up by cops. I know how they work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are what cops are supposed. What their what their slogan is. What's wild is that, like, even though I've met some heat from that, um, definitely a lot of officers in my community and and that have met me on a personable level are very respectful and 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 understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's ironic that, like, you know, I spend all this time being self important, and I just end up taking care of an old man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I take care of a lot of old people, like. Like, that's the thing. It's like, there's one part I don't really talk about. It's like my daily life and how I serve my community. And one of the reasons why I don't do that is because I could get arrested. Because I'm, like, taking care of people outside of the law in a good way, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, like, I, I don't even really feel like I need to be, like, concerned about it. Because it's like, I think the, the people right now that are working in our community are working with me in a way. You know, they know that I'm not out there trying to, like, you know, create Pink Floyd. <laughs> I'm out there, like, trying to take care of our veterans and our elderly and the Americans that made me, you know, the way my parents made me. You know, like, they sacrificed. They went out there. They didn't know if tomorrow had them any guarantee. They just developed their option, and they thought the best of themselves, and they tried to hope for the best of the people they cared about. And I definitely, to this day, my dad still does that, which amazes me because, like, I'm literally the nasty-ass drunk that used to beat him up as a kid, and he's just like, I care about you, and I want you to do this to yourself. And I'm like, all right, well, I got some damage, but that's not your fault. I'm like, just, like, be patient. I'm like, let me be here for you when, you know, it's it's necessary for me to take care of you, you know. And that's why I hung out, man. Like, I've been all over the country. And, like, potentially had offers to go other places of the world. But, like, I wanted to be close enough to my family, man. Like, we, we didn't come up in a way where, like, everything's taken care of, you know. We mm-hmm. came up in a way where, like, we don't know what tomorrow's got, you know. So let's be here for each other, you know. And... You know, even my relationship with Sam, I, like, feel like Sam settled me down a bit, you know, took me away from this, like, rat race, you know, like, and he was really freaking there, you know, he's like, like, uh, the relationship, I'm bringing him up out of nowhere, I'm sorry, but, like, yeah, it's just, like, wow, like, just, like, having a friend that doesn't want to get high on you, doesn't want to fuck you, just needs to be taken care of and like you're in this spot where you're just like I don't want to fucking have a party I want to I want to make sure somebody goes home safe tonight and they rest well tonight you know what I'm saying like I'd probably be like a really good dad it's just that like I got a I got a right hook that my mom taught me about and I just ain't I just ain't trying to like afflict somebody you know what I'm saying
for you to do that you know like and there's no reason to do that period but like you know when you're raised with a heavy hand sometimes you find yourself alone you know yeah i mean that's the always the the trap people are trying to get out of is um my 
I had a weird pathology with that I feel like I broke out of it took me a while to get out of it with um like the the effects of like my dad because mm-hmm. uh, ultimately like where I came down with him like he said he was just detached he, and and I was always with my mom yeah. like siding with her because she was dealing with his shit and I came into understanding what my what was going on with my family pretty young like my I have a memory of like I was like eight years old my mom was working a second job it's you know a Seven Eleven or something like that and so my dad was watching me and he got drunk one night. And I, ha- I remember he like sat down on the kitchen, f- sitting down on the kitchen floor with him, and he just is like, "I love you, Brian." But I, uh, and he just sort of like laid it on me that he married my mom because they got pregnant, and it like, which is the source of I think. Well, he's gonna be on the podcast actually to really talk about his history because he basically was taught to be a drunk by his parents. Okay, they a- did not want. They like they had a kid out of just like oh you're supposed to have a kid yeah but then they wanted to go and do their things and so they would you know they would take him with him when they would go out on these big parties with a whole bunch of other people and then they'd give him his own hotel room and be like here's a whole, here's a whole bunch of bottles just have fun go drink and they would have him bartend for them at yeah. home or you know when they wanted to go out they they they'd get him drunk so he would just fall asleep and they have to worry about him so I came to I I forgave my dad a lot but the the way that it messed me up to some degree was that I, you know, grew up thinking like my mom deserved someone to, who appreciated her. She's a goddamn like saint. She's mm-hmm. just like everyone who knows her. She's like just got the biggest heart, and she just she's just pure love. And so I really grew up with like I'm gonna, you know, when I'm with a woman, I'm gonna treat her the way my dad should have treated my mom. The problem that. is that's. I applied that to yeah. a lot of toxic relationships, sure. women who did not deserve that. That, that, that weren't reciprocating that level of commitment. And so I went through a lot of long relationships and I was married for two years, but in like a 10 year relationship. And that when I broke out of that and I was like 30, it's when I was finally free of like, I don't need anyone. I, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just done thinking that I, I wasn't complete until I found someone to treat as well as my mom. And then it, that's when I met my wife, Deb, at an open mic. And I begrudgingly was like, oh, shit, I like you. And it's real. And, but I dig that. I have a lot of respect for that. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit more transient. Like, uh, I buy hookers. Like it's a, it's a, you know, just to be honest, like, you know, like I, I'm not a person that I feel like I trust my love. Mm. I know I can love. I think it's an honest love. Um, but I'd never want to put anybody on, on my account. You know what I'm saying? Like in the sense that like my bank would require a ridiculous amount of devious sex that like i just like don't want to like trouble one person to worry about me well there's love and but no i like literally i learned when i got out of my first marriage really Mm. though was where i you know why it wasn't working was that what a relationship is right it's about i am you know you're looking at someone saying i want to take emotional responsibility for you and that's the thing I'm exactly kind of hung up on like I have like a really weird relationship with love in that regard like for me love is making a song love is 
getting to the gig and taking care of the bartender, taking care of my homies, taking care of my musicians. That's that's my love. That's how I understand love. Because that's like, I want to be able to make music. I want the partners in my aspect to feel like they can trust me, and that's the focus. So at the end of the day, I'm not sitting there flirting with every girl in the room. Not to say that that was the position you were in, but I'm just saying like I, I don't have that entertainment or that aspect of love. I have so much responsibilities, making sure my homie's getting paid, making sure instruments get put away. Like by the time I'm done with all that, everybody's already like going home with who they're going home with. So I don't have that sociability, like mm-hmm. you know. So like I, you know, like I, you know, I know, I know, mom, you're probably pretty disappointed in me, but I've definitely protected a lot of women. Um, you know, and it just giving them money, helping them take care of their like, like man, there are so many women out there right now that are like taking care of their sisters' kids and their kids, and some of them are taking care of kids that they didn't want. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and so like when you go into that realm of things, like, I definitely feel. Like, like the love that you found your family is so, so, so important that is, that is recognized. You know, for me, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'd never been that guy. Like, I always knew I was going to be a freaking whore. Like, like, I buy whores because I am a whore. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, like, sit there and, like, like, I can take care of Sam. What would certainly be more damaging to deny that and then try and, fit your square peg and by the way you can almost get killed on that shit like by the way like like not all them bitches out there are cool and like sometimes they roll with some dirty ass homies like you know i i I can tell you stories but like all i my main thing is like i just want to help people either balance themselves out or like you know hey if this can get you away from it let's get you away from it you know but i've been in situations like it's like literally like i know i'm getting robbed i know like these people aren't here to share pleasure or like anything you know like and but the ones that i have met that have been like honest like they're seriously like america is not taking care of our children and that's a big deal to me Mm. you know especially that these like women are taking care of like children that 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 like were left to them from sisters they were taking care of who like got hung up on the dope or whatever you know what i'm saying and it's just like i don't know it's like you know you can't correct everybody. You can't even correct yourself in that situation because no. that's not a place of correction. You're like in destitution. Like, and I understand myself when I'm in that place because it's like you know, I've been in love. I've tried to take care of people. I tried to be a man. You know, like I did the best I could. You know, it didn't work out. You know, and like I don't feel like I failed, but I felt like almost like I either let somebody become a new thing for them, and I was just in the way. You know, or just like you know, hey. And it's just, I don't know, like you say, like, I, I mean, my PTSD is a broader thing. It's, like, going into other aspects of my mind. But, like, I don't know, like, my, my, my concept of love, like, I t- totally respect what you got going on here in this home. This is a very good home. This is a very nice place. Like, oh, your kids you. are, are joyful and your and your wife is, like, ready to, like, look out. You know what I'm saying? That's real. You know, I, I don't, I come from that, but, like, I don't have that, you know, and, like, I'm a pretty shitty boyfriend. Like, it's just due to the alcoholism mostly. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, why would you want to hang with me if I'm that much of a dick? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, I mean, and the people that I care for, like, it's wild. Like, 
I always end up still being friends with my exes. I, like, I, I'm still you know very good friends with every one of my exes. My ex-wife is actually the first person who babysat for us. That's church. <laughs> and like, it, it, and, and it's just wild to me because it's like, you know, it's like, hey, we had a truth with each other at one point. And I have, I have that perspective because that's how it works with the music, hugely. Like, most of my life has been raised by music. You know, like, I learned, I learned how to read from music. Like, I couldn't even spell my name before I could, like, read tab. Like, on violin. Just like, these are notes you play, because mom won't hear it any other way. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, yeah, like, I totally was disciplined by music before society. But yeah, it's just like like I don't know, like as as much as it was tough times, it it became an honest perspective. Yeah. 
my dirt spit out before. And I was lucky in the 90s to be around the whole DIY Fugazi kind of era of music because it was like <clears throat> nobody wanted to be on a major label. We just wanted to use the clubs and the towns. Is this here in Cleveland? Uh, or, just or, across, like literally like like in the like just before the rave culture boomed in the early aughts, late mm -hmm. 90s. Like, dude, you could go to warehouses downtown and you would see like punk bands and you would see like crazy art rock bands and like you know a couple of djs from new york from chicago that were doing house music or whatever and we didn't even know what the fuck that was i got a glimpse into or i had uh i worked with some people who were in some pretty uh interesting bands back in the i call them the naughties mm -hmm. uh the uh what was that place speaking tongue yeah speaking tongue was a huge spot in the neighborhood i and never I was definitely i wanted to get into that with you is uh, you have um just as, as a, a source of the oral history of kind of what the DIY scene in Cleveland has been. Because I first met you mm -hmm. as a friend of mine uh, that uh, was a friend of my ex-wife's, uh, Krista yeah. Tomorowitz. Yeah. Who I have a lot, I've just fallen out of touch with. I can't, I, I've tried to reach out and she's she's off doing her thing and what, uh, I miss her. But uh, she said like, oh, this guy I know, Zila, is throwing this, it was like a big house party, or it was like a giant, I remember it was like several floors or something, I have no idea where it was, but that's where I first met you, I bought a, an album of yours with the 3D glasses. Yeah, so that would have been like, I think that would have been the, the old Happy Dog. Okay. The old Happy Dog, so like, so like, it was just like two. Yeah, it might not have been a house venue, I just remember there's like, yeah, there were stickers everywhere. Yeah, and... like, and she was painting on the wall that night. Mm. Yeah, so like. So, like, before, I don't know, okay, so, like, when I was a kid, um, 18 years old, uh, you'd go downtown, this warehouse on East 25th and Superior, and there'd be, like, a skating bowl. So, that's why all the punks wanted to go there, and I was rolling with the punks. And, like, yeah, there's this, there's this like, skate bowl, like, at the spot. Let's go there, and they got music and shit. So we went there, and yeah, there was a band sitting in the other corner of the room, and then like everybody was skating in one room, and I was just sitting there getting high off crazy drugs and whatever. And then that just kind of became the after-hour spot. And then me and the kids that I was rolling with, we were just like, we could sell drugs to these motherfuckers. <laughs> so that's what we did. We would hang out like after hours and just like sit there and just like take care of biz, you know? Because all these people would come from West 6th. And 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 in West Ninth area, like after the clubs, and they just come here and dance in their way. And in the beginning, we were kind of bored with it. We were just like a place where you get high and like sell drugs to these rich people. But then after a while, you started like seeing like the rave culture kind of evolve because it was like these DJs started turning up like 
a lot. Like in the beginning, like we were all trooping up because like you could go there and you could see these guys who would do turntablism. And we were like way into that, like our whole crew. And then like all, all of a sudden house music came along and the turntablism phased away. And then we were all kind of disappointed and it got super boring and it's just house music and rich people buying our drugs. And we're just like, okay, cool. Do that. <laughs> like, this is boring. All right. Making money. Making money. And like, and then like, and I, it like, it, it really kind of bizarred me because like, I was like really into jungle and DMB, like, even though I was like doing my band shit and then all in the prog rock and punk and whatever, but it was just like. I could escape after a show, do a bunch of drugs with my friends and go see these crazy DJs and stuff, you know? And like, to me, that was like the counterculture at the time because I was so wrapped up in the guitars and the bass and drums and all that and clubs. And it was just like really cool to escape and just like kind of rave out, you know? And, um, but yeah, I kind of got caught up too hard and like, it was like kind of sad because like I watched like, you know, really awesome subculture just like decimate because of drugs and money and it really wasn't so much one drug or the other it was just like the money and just like it went from like this total diy type shit that just turned into like ticket master 40 dollars tickets and suddenly you go to a rave and there's a cop there at the door and you're like what the hell is mm. this you know and like we were so disillusioned and like so high, we were just like partying. And we we're just like, oh, wait, wait, why, why is there a cop and parents and kids here suddenly? Like, you know, like it was like blew up like that quick, you know? So it was like, I kind of like got my taste of, of what happened to like the CBGBs in the 70s and like, like the, the East Cleveland warehouse scene in the 90s. And I heard so much dissidence from like, the older musicians who had dealt with that, I was meeting my own. And I, I don't know, like, it was just wild because it was like, again, it was like another situation where you just had to reinvent the idea of why you're there in the first place to like, you know, and it's just like my, my parenting, you know, it's like as aggressive and as, as weird and as un, uneventful our, our situations ended up becoming. It was just like more of a truth of, of the of things that were at large and kind of gave me the conversation to be like, oh, this is bullshit. This isn't, you know, just because this is legal and this is not, this doesn't mean it's right or wrong.
do remember when I first smoked pot, and it was late compared to a lot of my friends who were smoking in like high school. I didn't smoke a joint until I was maybe, I want to say like 21. Day. And but then you know that was the first time I like did something like, ooh, it's illegal. And then got high, I enjoyed it, and that Im- immediately hit me like, ow. Why is this illegal? Some things are illegal <laughs> that aren't wrong at all. There's that. And what's what I think is even crazier is that like I think the medicinal value of THC um being m- misaligned is is a horrible horrible testament of the American culture. Um uh, how do you mean like THC being I think America is catching up to THC now. I'm just saying that that well, CBD. It's the CBD gets more of the. This is the medicinal. Actually, I work, one of my I do web development. One of yes. my clients is a is a hemp farm, mm-hmm. and but they focus entirely on putting out products that are, um, you know, it's the CBD and there's yes. no THC. Yeah, no, I and like actually without without putting myself out there too much, um, I'm aware of that, and um, it's it's very good. Um, couple of my friends who were actual potheads like hey you know i just needed some pain relief and i smoked that and that was great or like it took a tincture of it that was great and i'm like yeah because that's like that's the thing it's like like um i think the the greatest fallacy if i can paraphrase it the greatest fallacy is that marijuana gets you high it can but that's not all it does it can make food it can make clothes it could make you know medicine and it like for me like even ever since like because like I didn't like I didn't get into weed on the kind bud man like I like was smoking like the 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 monkey paw from East Cleveland back in the nineties bro <laughs> and that shit was from Haiti man and there were some hard ass brothers involved in that shit and like yeah sometimes when you're smoking that shit it there was blood involved you know what I'm saying and like that's that's how hard it was to get weed in Cleveland. Mm. So then, like, you know, when I started getting the raver culture and you start, I started meeting other aspects and, like, I was like, wow, this is even more shady than, than my OGs. And, like, because my OGs weren't shady, but, like, they lived in shady hoods, man. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't get weed like that anywhere else. You, like, had to go to East Cleveland, had to talk to these Haitian brothers, had to fucking, like, be cool with them, smoke a blunt full of fucking seeds so they haze you into their clique. And then they're like, all right. You didn't you didn't choke and puke, so you could smoke a real joint now, you know, kind of shit. I don't know. It, it it's weird. It's like there's a lot of East Cleveland in Cleveland that Cleveland needs to recognize because there's a lot of people that are left to destitution and survival, and their mode is real. And like East Cleveland police haven't been completely right up, and they're kind of dirty. Um, Cleveland Heights, we're lucky now that we I think we have a lot of people in service that are like they really care about the community and they see how things are changing um well, what the, you know it was uh, actually the guest here last night the mayor of university heights oh yeah yeah what's his name uh, michael brennan and I don't think I've he's, a, he's a he's a real he's a straight dude as far as like i was you know i i reached out to him just because i noticed he's super accessible like he answers questions on facebook when people are just commentating on like, that's the cool. university heights city board and that's, that's a very cool. deliberate like governing posture he decided to adopt so i just reached out and i'm like because i had had on like uh 
progressive, uh, the Cuyahoga County Progressive Caucus political director, and he had mentioned like, and so I just, I just took a shot. I'm like, maybe the mayor is uh, down for this. That's awesome. And he was one of the cool things when I was re- doing like background for the interview, like reading up on what you know how was how he campaigned and what his platform was. He said one thing uh, that I really liked that always bothered me about that I noticed because uh, I moved away and came back, and I noticed that one change in the cops. It was like all the cop cars look like they're fucking Terminators. They're yeah, like you're not wrong. Solid black. And yeah. I remember 10 years ago, they were like these, it was green, green, and, green and, and blue. Yeah, and green and white and blue. And it just and there's something so much more intimidating about these these all black Mustangs riding around. That was actually in one of his uh, policy things. He's like, we need to get rid of these black intimidating cars. Well, that's good for him to say. That's good for him to say. Like, I, I don't know. It's even, even wilder. Is like, I would even go so far as like, Back in the early aughts, like, or actually it was the 90s, I was working at, um, before they reconstructed Cedar Center, there was a, a coffee shop over there, it was, it was owned by a guy named Marty, and I worked for him during that time, and that's when I, that's when I was, like, kind of sick, like, I was doing dope and shit like that, and I'd, like, I had a crazy lifestyle at the time, I was, like, play with my band at night, go meet up with my druggie homies, do a bunch of dope, Go to the coffee shop at six a.m. Sleep on the on the chairs in the back until the bell rings. Like, answer the door, like sell some coffee. It's seven in the morning, so I ended up meeting some wild people at seven in the morning. A police officer actually, Sean, I believe Lemon, um, and he was actually a SWAT. So like he was the first one to come up to me, be concerned about one of the one of my friends who was like pretty homeless and and, and pretty aggressive. But I just really loved his candor. Like, such a good cop. Like, he knew what I was about. He understood what that kid was about. And he just didn't want anybody to get hurt. You know? So that's the thing. It's like, that's a, that's like a different era of policing. You know, like, just having that regard of the community and where people are coming from instead of yeah. putting them on paper that quick. You know? I just shared, um, and I don't normally... Um, I shared this story of um, this cop in, I forget which town, basically pulled over this kid, had a expired, light, ended up having an expired license or a suspended license, but mm. he was on his way to a job interview. Oh, shit. And the cop drove him to the interview. That's awesome. And, um, and I shared this just being like, good cop. Good cop. And a fair amount of people liked it. And then a friend of mine who's a, lot, who's a bit more radical in politics, you know, he was just like, copaganda. And, and and just Forget like that. whatever and I said like honestly I know what copaganda is like it, this is not pulling someone over terrifying them and then being like ice cream yeah and then they make it go viral they're like oh, you there. know that's copaganda like that's this is Cap-a-ganda's the kind of thing fun. like that is cops have that discretion they, they can they, do they, that they totally do and it should be highlighted and celebrated and and I totally become more of the norm i totally like, agree with you like like I, and and this this could only just add to the conversation against cops being violent to people and if we and make them the other they'll they're just gonna feel I, that we're know, the other. I've, I've been beaten up by three cops and ended up in the drunk tank a few times you know like you know and a, i could say Two of the, actually all the times, like the cop had no right to do what they did. And I just did it. And I went through the process. I went through the red tape, did the court case, whatever, you know. And I could go on about those stories. But on the real, like, for me, like, after being shook down so many times, beaten up or whatever, like, you know, if, like, I get pulled over by a cop now, I'm not really breaking anything. 
I'm not breaking laws like I was back in the day. You know, it's like I know how to be humble. I've been through this with a motherfucker before. I'm like, hey, here's my ID. Here's my insurance. Blah, blah, blah. Let me get you out your way, you know. But I definitely am not encouraged how they fiscally place their charges. Um, I think it's it's it it defeats the purpose of taking care of your community, like you know, putting so much money against people that are just they're they're like you're pulling them over because they're racing to their job in the morning, or like you know, you know like you're you're giving them like a bunch of court cases because husband and wife got in a fight one night. And like these people don't have that option that their, their money doesn't float around like that. So like, I definitely would like to see a balance of how our officers are being paid to where they regard the public they're protecting or how they're working with the public. Well, yeah. And it you does. Know? A lot of them are stuck in, you know, it's, there was that there's both a sides change in a lot of police stations, just in terms of like, it's about the numbers, both sides, both sides. And like, and it's wild because it's like, the, and, and like, and for me, I think this is like symptomatic of a shitty capitalism. You know, when, when we, when we come to the end of the conversation without like saying one side's wrong or the other, you know, like it's just shitty capitalism. It's like like you could you could you could be a capitalist. You could endorse your companies to benefit random communities, but like what are you really doing? And like it's 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 just running it's running head to head next to fucking Trump. You know what I'm saying? Like and how he's like like I in my opinion I'll I'll, I'll just say it really quick like and just like without getting too deep like America deserves Trump. America deserves Trump. Like, for all the shit that we've gotten away from and gotten away with, the way we've treated the middle class and the working class, like, he's exactly, he's exactly the characterization of our electoral congress. Thought it out, draws. 